Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 151, Are You Salty? Hello, I'm so glad you're here. I couldn't help myself with the title. We're talking about being the salt of the earth, and I the thought kept popping into my head of me. This is a really weird visual, so I'm sorry for anybody who just thinks I'm weird, but I kept thinking of myself as a potato chip, and I'm like, a potato chip without salt on it or salt that has lost its savor wouldn't taste very good. And so I'm thinking, am I a salty potato chip? <laughs> But then I'm thinking potato chips aren't very healthy and we're talking about salting the earth with a good thing. And so I'm like a salty carrot or something, (laughs) hopefully, if I'm doing things right. Okay, excuse the terrible metaphor of carrots and potato chips. So this week we talk about the Sermon on the Mount and obviously the Sermon on the Mount has so much we can talk about. I could talk about like I can list off like 20 different topics we could dive into. So I decided to just choose one that I chose because it's one that I've always had a hard time fully understanding. And it's probably just for lack of trying to figure it out. It's not really actually that complicated, but I would read it and I would be like, what does that mean? But then I would never try and figure it out. So today I'm figuring it out. So what we're going to talk about is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse 13, when he says, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men? I love what the Come Follow Me manual has to say about this. It says, salt has long been used to preserve, flavor, and purify. Salt also had religious meaning for the Israelites. It was associated with the ancient practice of animal sacrifice under the law of Moses. When salt loses its savor, it becomes ineffective or good for nothing. This happens when it is mixed with or contaminated by other elements. Keep this in mind as you ponder Matthew 5.13. How will you keep your savor as a disciple of Jesus Christ? How will you fulfill your preserving and purifying work as the salt of the earth? So when I read that they said salt has long been used to preserve, flavor, and purify, and then we also read that that the salt had religious meaning for the Israelites, that the, the meat had to be salted before it could be used for sacrifice, I was just thinking, man, salt is really versatile. There are a lot of things it's used for. So I looked it up, and here are some of the main functional properties of salt. And I'm getting this off of Cargill, C-A-R-G-I-L-L.com. Here are some of the functions that they give. As a preservative, they say salt acts as a preservative by altering the availability of water in foods, thereby depriving microbes from using available water as a nutrient. The growth of pathogens and spoilage organisms is impended when salt is present. So it acts as a preservative. Think about that when we compare ourselves as a preservative, as people who hopefully are spreading the light and gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we acting when we do that? We are acting as a preservative for the world. And in what way? When the Lord comes for his second coming, the wicked must be destroyed, right? And the more that we share the gospel and the message of repentance, the more reason the Lord has to preserve the world and give us longer to to repent and prepare. And who do you think qualifies to be the salt of the earth? Is it just members of the church? I am certain that that is not true. I listen to so many amazing Christian men and women who put their voices out there for good, for the love of Jesus Christ, who share the gospel. And so before I talk about all of this, I just want to remind you that although this church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is the true and living church upon the earth directed by Jesus Christ, the gospel is still being shared in so many ways. And there are so many other people 
that I think can be categorized as the salt of the earth, who are bringing good, who are helping preserve the earth, who are helping prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ by sharing his light and his goodness and his gospel. So back to Christ's message. He repeats this message to the Nephites when he came to the Nephites in 3 Nephi. (laughs) That was a lot of saying Nephi all in one sentence. And because of that, I ended up looking at the Come Follow Me manual from 3 Nephi. And in that section, they said, under the law of Moses, meat needed to be salted before it was used as an offering. Just as salt prepared meat for an offering, we can help prepare the world for the Lord by becoming the salt of the earth. Okay, I want to focus on two aspects of what the Savior said. Number one, how can we prevent losing our savor, as the Savior said, and then consequently being good for nothing? And then number two, what is our responsibility to God through our covenants to the world to be the salt of the earth? So let's talk about number one, prevent. How do we prevent losing our savor? Which would mean if we did, we would lose what we need for that purpose. Why we've been told that we're here to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. James E. Faust said this about how we can prevent losing our savor. He said, Spiritual nutrients, which keep us spiritually healthy, can lose their potency and strength if we do not live worthy of the divine guidance we need. The Savior has told us, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men? We need to keep our minds and bodies clean from all forms of addiction and pollution. We would never choose to eat spoiled or contaminated food. In the same selective way, we should be careful not to read or view anything that is not in good taste. Much of the spiritual pollution that comes into our lives comes through the internet, computer games, television shows, and movies that are highly suggestive of or graphically portray humanity's baser attributes. Because we live in such an environment, we need to increase our spiritual strength. Enos speaks of his soul hungering and crying all day and also into the night in supplication for his soul. He craved the spiritual nutrients that quench the thirst for spiritual truth. As the Savior of the world told the woman at the well in Samaria, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Let's remember what the Come Follow Me manual said about how salt loses its savor. When salt loses its savor, it becomes ineffective or good for nothing. This happens when it is mixed with or contaminated by other elements. So in in application to us, how do we become mixed or contaminated by other elements? There are obviously a million ways that we can allow ourselves to get mixed up in the philosophies of the world, in sin, in apathy, in levity, in pride, etc. I could keep going. But for myself, I often think... It comes down to one thing for me, when I can tell that I am justifying, when I'm trying to allow certain things from the world into my life that I know are not things that will invite the spirit, and I'm trying to justify, that is the biggest red flag for me. Something happened this weekend that I've been reflecting on. We had a Super Bowl party, sort of. It's not really a party, but we had some people over to watch the Super Bowl. And if you know me, you know I don't care about the Super Bowl or about football at all. But my husband does and people in my life do. So we had the Super Bowl playing. We had yummy snacks. And it was a fun atmosphere. In the past, when we have watched the halftime show, I have been unsettled that my children have seen some of the things that go on during the halftime show. I'm sure any one of you who have seen the halftime show know what I'm talking about. And 
even for myself, not just my children, but even myself, it's not the kind of content that I would normally allow myself to watch. But somehow, because it's during the Super Bowl and everyone watches it and it's part of the Super Bowl, it somehow is supposed to feel more innocent. I don't really even know quite how to explain it. It's like normally I wouldn't seek out that kind of content, but because it's during the Super Bowl, we're all supposed to be excited about the halftime show and watch it. But this year, I decided that I was not going to watch it and that I was going to have my own kids go downstairs while it was playing. And if I was being a better planner, I would have probably decided to do this differently, but I didn't plan ahead. So as the halftime show, I told my kids that I wanted them to go downstairs and I went to a different part of the room. And as I did these things, I felt judged. And I felt like I was probably being viewed as silly and overprotective and that my kids were going to grow up not understanding sexuality or something like that or being ashamed of sexuality. Or maybe they felt like I was being holier than thou. I don't really know. But I did. I felt annoyed that I, I had those thoughts in my head and I felt kind of embarrassed. And I also felt like I shouldn't care what other people think. And for the most part, I didn't. But it did bother me a little bit. And ultimately... I don't even know if they even had those thoughts, but mostly it was just me thinking that they were probably thinking those thoughts because they wanted to watch it. And my oldest daughter was begging me to let her watch. So I did end up letting her watch for a couple of minutes until I and myself until I thought it got a little raunchy because I don't know, I had a little bit of high hopes like, I don't know, maybe it won't be that bad. And I will say that I do think it's, it wasn't as bad as previous years. Um, but it, was definitely not something that I want my children to watch or myself to watch. So after about a minute, my daughter and I went somewhere else and we played a game. So after the Super Bowl, I was kind of bothered about how I had handled it. I didn't feel like I had planned ahead very well. And I kind of was allowing that a little bit of embarrassment, like people, maybe people thought I was silly, kind of creep in. But then I saw a video online of somebody seemingly innocently videoing their kids imitate all of the dance moves that were being done during the halftime show. Now, that person wasn't trying to show their kids doing anything terrible, and in the video, the kids didn't do anything terrible. And it probably, like I said before, it felt more innocent because it's part of the Super Bowl, it's part of the show, it's part of that production. But when I saw those kids imitating those dancers who, during the course of the dance, did some extremely inappropriate moves, I felt a little bit of peace in my heart. Not judgment toward the people whose video I was watching. I understand how that happened. But but I just had a little bit of confirmation from the Holy Ghost in my heart that that is why I didn't want to let my children watch the halftime show or myself. Cultural influence matters. What we watch, we replay in our minds. What we read, we internalize, and it changes the way we think. What we listen to infiltrates our hearts. The language we choose to use can chase away the spirit. And I'm not just talking about explicit language. I'm talking about truthful language. When we sugarcoat our language so that we don't offend the world, but we end up distorting the truth as God defines it, that chases away the spirit. That is serving the devil before God. James E. Faust said this in his talk that was brilliantly entitled, Trying to Serve the Lord Without Offending the Devil. Oh, don't you love that? I'm going to say that again. Trying to serve the Lord without offending the devil. He says, In the great universities of the world, one does not often choose to speak of the influence of Satan. Perhaps it is not cool to address this subject, but I choose to do so anyway. Someone said in these few words, I have heard much about the devil. I have read a great deal about the devil. I have even done business with the devil but it didn't pay. Your generation lives in a day when many things are measured against the standard of social or political correctness. 
Today, I challenge that false doctrine of human behavior. The influence of Satan is becoming more acceptable. Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, The devil is most devilish when respectable. President Faust then goes on to quote President Marion G. Romney. He says, The consequences of mortal man's choices are of the all-or-nothing sort. There is no way for him to escape the influence of these opposing powers. Inevitably, he is led by one or the other. His God-given free agency gives him the power and the option to choose, but choose he must. Nor can he serve both of them at the same time. For as Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. President Faust continues, I think we will see increasing evidence of Satan's power as the kingdom of God grows stronger. I believe that Satan's ever-expanding efforts are some proof of the truthfulness of this work. In the future, the opposition will both be more subtle and more open. It will be masked in greater sophistication and cunning, but it will also be more blatant. We will need greater spirituality to perceive all of the forms of evil and greater strength to resist it. Oh man, prophecy fulfilled. He said, in the future, the opposition will both be more subtle and more open. That is our world. It will be masked in greater sophistication and cunning, but it will also be more blatant. That is a perfect description. Did you guys see or at least hear about the performance of Sam Smith at the Grammys? That was just like a week ago. Outright Satan worship and glorifying of evil. Just just out there, just for all of us to see, and we're supposed to accept it because it's art, because it's popular, because they're popular artists, and we're not supposed to see it for what it is. But that one's an easier one. That one is easily identifiable as from Satan. But there is so much more subtlety happening in every other area, not just performance. I know I'm talking about a lot about performance, but I'm talking about the philosophies of the world. So subtle. So much truth interwoven into the lies. Second Nephi chapter 28, verse 21 through 22. And others he will pacify and lull them away into carnal security, that they will say, All is well in Zion. Yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. And behold, others he flattereth away and telleth them there is no hell. And he saith unto them, I am no devil, for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them in his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. This all to say that for many of us, I don't think that the loss of our savor as the salt of the earth often comes in blatant, obvious sin and departure from the gospel. It comes in allowing ourselves to be led down a path carefully and subtly. It comes in allowing ourselves to be led down a path of justification. It comes from allowing ourselves to mix with the world in a way that allows it to enter our hearts. Okay, let's get to our responsibility to the world as the salt of the earth. Susan H. Porter said, It is surprising how much difference a sprinkling of salt makes in the flavor of what we eat. And yet salt is one of the least expensive and simplest ingredients. In the book of 2 Kings, we read of a little maid who is captured by the Syrians to become a servant to the wife of Naaman, captain of the Syrian army. She was as salt. She was young, of no worldly importance, and her life as a slave in a foreign country was clearly not what she had hoped for. However, she spoke two sentences with the power of God, testifying to Naaman's wife. Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Her words of faith were relayed to Naaman, who acted on her words, allowing him to be healed both physically and spiritually. 
We often focus on the servants who convinced Naaman to bathe in the River Jordan, as the prophet Elisha directed, but Naaman would not have even been at Elisha's door without a little maid. You may be young or feel of no importance, but you can be a salt in your family, at school, and in your community. I saw a video today of a young man on a plane preaching to the passengers and asking them if they would accept Jesus into their hearts. Now, obviously, that's not really the way we've been told to go about things. But kind of simultaneously, I I was a little embarrassed for him because he was doing it in this venue that's kind of feels a little inappropriate. But I also admired his courage. I'm sure some of the people on the plane were mocking them, at least in their heads, and thought he seemed stupid and annoying. But then, as I kept watching the video, he asked who would let Jesus into their hearts, and I saw hands slowly raise. Of all of the people who might have been annoyed at him that day, how unimportant is their annoyance compared to those he benefited that day? Those for whom he opened the door even just a little bit for Jesus into their hearts that day and perhaps into their life. That matters so much more. And he did not care. He was willing Maybe he felt embarrassed. I don't know. He was willing to be embarrassed. Maybe he wasn't embarrassed at all. We need to be willing to speak out. Maybe not exactly in that way that that young man did, but wear the gospel on our sleeves. As Nephi said in 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 26, and we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Yes, your primary responsibility is your children and the people within your stewardship. But the cool thing is, is that to some degree, the world is within our stewardship. We have a responsibility to maintain our savor, to maintain our purity and our dedication and our righteousness so that we have the ability to salt the earth, to prepare it for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Here are some quotes from President Nelson. Think of your duty As God's mighty army to help prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. That is our charge. That is our privilege. Next, he says, I thank you, my dear sisters, and bless you to rise to your full stature, to fulfill the measure of your creation. As we walk arm in arm in this sacred work, together we will help prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. Next and last quote. And as I say this, I want you to know that the blessing he gives applies just as much right now as it did when he gave it. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, I bless you to be filled with the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. His peace is beyond all mortal understanding. I bless you with an increased desire and ability to obey the laws of God. I promise that as you do, you will be showered with blessings, including greater courage, increased personal revelation, sweeter harmony in your homes, and joy even amid uncertainty. May we go forward together to fulfill our divine mandate that of preparing ourselves and the world for the second coming of the Lord. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.